at you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 45. It's the beginning of the series of, uh, on the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught. Lord's Day 45 is on page 559 of the book of praise. And here the church confesses, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing, ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only, who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? All the things we need for body and soul as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us. And what is the Lord's Prayer? And then follows the quotation of that prayer, which is taken from Matthew 6 and from Luke uh, 11. We'll be going through it petition by petition in the next several weeks. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, prayer is a difficult thing to explain to an unbeliever. Even though our unbelieving colleagues may let us do our own thing when we pray at work or in public in another setting, we always wonder what they think. Do they see it as a bit of magic? A religious superstition? positive self-talk to help us reach our goals. Pretty sure a lot of them find that our prayers remind them of their, their famous childhood chats with imaginary friends, which are therapeutic and helpful for the person talking, but somewhat ridiculous nonsense for those who know that it is just your imagination. In the world we live in, has trouble understanding what we're doing when we pray. The materialists reject supernatural things that they cannot measure scientifically. And the rationalists reject whatever they can't understand. And the postmodernist, who tends to allow each person to believe whatever they want, they hate the Christian claim that there is only one true God before whom they all must submit. Even other religion in which prayer is at worst considered a means to manipulate their gods 
and at best a work that must be performed to earn your way into the heaven of their faraway God, even they would reject the basis of grace and love and filial care that characterizes Christian prayer. Then we see there's no room for prayer in the worldviews that surround us nowadays. And Genesis 4 teaches us that we can expect this distinction. It shows us that, that although Cain, the seed of the serpent then, may build cities and invent tools and start farming and build instruments just like the people of God have always done from the beginning. It is only the church of God, and then we read it in Genesis 4 verse 26, that calls upon the name of the Lord. That's how we're different. We call upon the name of the Lord. By the grace of God, I preach to you this gospel under this theme, Christ Church Prays. And we'll see because they pray because they belong to God, and secondly, because they long for God. So the question is, why do Christians pray? In Hebrews 11, verse 6, tells us that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. When a Christian stops for some time in the day, lifts his eyes uh, up to heaven or closes his eyes and folds his hands, he shows, he or she shows that he, he believes that God exists. We don't just do that for fun. We believe that God exists. And what kind of God do we, do we pray to? Do we lift up the, the eyes of our heart to when we pray? The God that Christians look to is not just some figment of our imagination or some vague power that is comparable to chance or, or karma, but he is the personal God who has revealed himself in creation and even more clearly in his word. It is really our faith in the truth of the revelation of scriptures that causes us to pray. Because not only does God's word show his power and his authority as creator of heaven and earth, it also shows us that he made us as interdependent creatures to, to, uh, to glorify him in all our work, our family, and our worship according to the Ten Commandments and in love and independence on him. Christians pray because they know from scriptures where they have come from, who they are, and where they are going. And another belief that is basic to our prayer is that the understanding that God pays attention to us. There are people who tell you that they believe that there is a God, that God exists, but they think that God is, is probably too busy taking care of the affairs of the world to listen to them, or that he's a God that made the world and, and left. While Christians hear that comment, they know right away that such people are actually thinking about a God that they formed in their own imagination. 
Because the one true God who has revealed himself in his word tells us that he sees what is happening on the earth, that he intervenes in the affairs of the world for the sake of his church. He is, he is with us. We're with him. And yet reading the scriptures, we know that our faith is more than just believing that God exists, that he made us, that he hears us. There are a surprising amount of people, and many who even call themselves Christians, who believe there is a God in heaven, and that he hears them, but this certainly does not make them feel like praying to him regularly. There, maybe we can call them crisis prayers. Crisis prayers. People who are, are overly focused on bodily comforts, their own situation, and who pray when their attempts to get what they want aren't working or when they really can't control what's happening. Such part-time prayers, they base their prayer lives on what they don't have and on what they need so much that when things seem to be going well, you know what they do? They actually stop praying. Like a so-called friend who doesn't talk to you when he or she doesn't need anything from you. Such so-called Christians don't see God as much more than a dispenser of help in tough situations. This is the extent of prayer in many religions in the world, but it twists prayer to be something for selfish people who only want certain things for themselves and have no concern to glorify God first of all. And by selves, I mean even the people around you that you love. You want things to be a certain way. So if our prayer isn't, is not based on the fact that there is a God who hears us and will be able to help us and get us what we need, well, what drives us to, to pray to him? If he's not just there to help us in times of crisis, what's he there for? Why should we pray to him? Why do you fold your hands and close your eyes in the morning around the breakfast table and at school or at work with your family at the supper table and then again at night before you go to sleep? Well, we confess that we do that because we are thankful we pray because we are in a special relationship with the creator of heaven and earth who has reached down to us lowly sinners in his grace and has blessed us with his son Jesus Christ who pays for our sins and with the Holy Spirit who transforms our hearts. The relationship that we have with the triune God is the basis for our prayer. The fact that the Lord has told us that we belong to him leads us to stop our daily task and lift up our hearts to heaven to speak with him. And what amazes us is that God loves us even though we have sinned against him 
And in fact, this is another base or starting point for our prayer. Sometimes it happens that when we are overwhelmed by God's holiness and, and our own sinfulness, we may wonder, why should God listen to me as, as, as a church, a sinner, an unfaithful wife who makes a mockery of his life? How could we who are so selfish and entangled in this world we live in have the audacity to ask anything from God? And even those who seriously love God and, and want to do what is right for him can become overly focused and dependent on their own obedience so that they look more to their own sins than to Christ's righteousness. And when we doubt God's free grace to us, when we make his love smaller than our rebellion, and we are again fooled by our pride to think that God's love depends on us even a little, well, we will notice that the foundation of prayer gets drastically shaken. Have you ever had it that you didn't feel you could pray because you were so ashamed of what you had done? It's because at that moment you thought that God's grace was conditional, that Christ's righteousness was not enough for you. Although Psalm 35, 34, verses 15 and 17 speaks of God listening to the righteous, we know, and the gospel proclaims, that, that our righteousness could never be the basis of our prayers to God. The basis of our prayer has to be Christ's obedience and his righteousness for us and in our place. We only pray because we believe that God has done everything. He has forgiven everything. He has given everything because of his love for us. In order to pray to the one true God who has revealed himself in his word, Christians will believe that God exists, that he hears our prayers, that he has a special relationship with us, and finally, that this special relationship does not depend on our righteousness in any way. It's a beautiful way to begin a conversation with the Creator. Like John says in the passage we read in 1 John 5, when we talk to God, we may have confidence because we know we have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because we know of the work of Jesus Christ. The church prays because we belong to the one and only true God. He made us his beloved children in Jesus Christ. And he changes us by his word through his Holy Spirit. We pray because our loving Father loves to hear his joyful children express their trust in him as they share their joys and their sorrows and their fears and their needs with him 
who loved us so much that he sent his son into the world for us. We are so happy, so happy that we belong to God in spite of our sins and in spite of our weak, weak weaknesses that, that it, it, it drives us. We desire to call on his name regularly. Just because he is our God. The first verses of Psalm 34 show how prayer is first and foremost a celebration of God and of our relationship with him in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit transforms our heart and, and brings us to sing, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And so when an unbeliever asks us or somebody who's learning asks us, why, why do you pray? Well, we can tell him. First of all, I'll tell you, I don't pray because I have to in order to be accepted by God or even saved. And second of all, it's not because I lack anything, for I have eternal life in Jesus Christ. In fact, I pray because I know that I belong to God and I have everything in God's grace alone. And if you knew the God who made you, the God who sent his son to redeem you, and his spirit to transform your life, you too would pray without ceasing, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17. I pray because I know the triune God, I have eternal life in him. I pray because I love God who loved me so much, who first loved me so much, brought me out of death into his marvelous light, I pray because I belong to him. And when I, when I belong to him, when I see that, I realize also how much I long for him. My prayer of praise and thankfulness to God for all that I have in him also reveals to me that God's transformation of my heart and my life is not complete and how much I long to be closer to God and fully experience the gifts that he has obtained for me in his son, Jesus Christ. The church of Christ prays because they long for God. Think about it. What is your heart's greatest desire? What are you hoping for most in your lives? Now, I'm sure that after those, the first frivolous thoughts that came into your mind about a Stanley Cup for the Oilers or the new car or truck in the magazine or that mansion overlooking the ocean. And then the second wave of, of less frivolous thoughts and desires such as a, a husband or wife or stronger marriage and or a family or recovery from illness and or good health and strength. As Christians... Your mind will always answer this question, will always take you deeper. And you will return to the seed that God planted 
in your heart when he placed eternity in your hearts. It is our heart's greatest desire to live in eternal peace with our heavenly Father in a way and in a place that we can love him with our whole heart, our whole soul, our mind, and our strength, and that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. It's our heart's greatest desire to live in eternal peace with our heavenly Father in a way and in a place that we can love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. To praise him fully, God made us to glorify him. No matter who we are, no matter where we live, no matter what situation we might be, God made us this way, and although unbelievers work very hard to suppress this truth in unrighteousness, as we read in Romans 1, when we submit to our Father in Christ Jesus, we clearly see and experience this desire again. Since our starting point is that we already have eternal life in Christ, We will approach God with confidence to ask him for all that we need for body and soul in order to worship him. Knowing that, as we read in 1 John 5, verse 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The light of the glory of our holy and most perfect God Revealed to us in his law and his word, it shines into our redeemed life. And as that light shines, as we draw near to God in this way, we see the the shamefulness of our sins and and, and the darkness of of the hearts of children of God who who fight against him. When we hear that our, our sins against the Ten Commandments hinder our full enjoyment of God's work for us, We just know that those sins can't be good. We want to get rid of them. We long for God's grace and the blood of Christ to to remove the sins from our lives in the same way that a, a bridal attendant removes the dirt off the bride's wedding dress. And how can we enjoy this benefit of Christ? The Bible explains it simply when it teaches us that unconfessed sins, they they stick on us. But when we confess our sins and and point to them in our lives and God washes them off through prayer in which we talk to God, we embrace Christ's finished work in thankfulness and trust completely in him. We show our desire to be purified as we point to the sins in our lives, like a person pointing to the dirty spots on their clothes. Unconfessed sins, we know, make us feel ashamed. They create a barrier or a distance between God and us, and and, and we long for a richer and a deeper communion with God. And so we pray according to his will, and he hears us. See that in verses 4 to 7 of Psalm 34. As God's children, we desire to hear our Lord Jesus tell us that we went home justified like that tax collector who who bowed himself before the Lord, didn't even look up to heaven, who beat his breast and said, Lord, have, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And Jesus said, that man went home justified. And the closer we are to God and the more richly that we experience his grace to us, unworthy sinners, the more we recognize how wonderful it is to be a part of God's kingdom, to to walk in holiness with God as he holds us by the hand. We could see that in Psalm 34. As we taste and see that the Lord is good, that the man who takes refuge in him is richly blessed, that's verse 8. Then we long for his Holy Spirit to teach us the fear of the Lord, verse 11, and to grant us life with many days and much good, verse 12. So we pray with the words of Psalm 119 that we will sing after the sermon this this afternoon. In Psalm 119, verses 4 and 5, we read, You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my words may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Transferred from the kingdom of darkness into God's amazing light, we long to be led by his Holy Spirit more and more and to to praise him with every part of our lives with with an upright heart. It's verse 7 of Psalm 119. The more we recognize the depths of God's grace to us and the forgiveness of all the sins that we we confess and point to in our lives and seek to embrace our new life as, as new creatures in Jesus Christ, what happens? Well, we often become frustrated with our limitations because we recognize that often our weaknesses hinder full fellowship and communion with God. Not just the sins, just the physical weaknesses. Christians understand that as our Lord Jesus taught us in what we now call the Lord's Prayer, the greatest suffering of a Christian is when physical needs interfere with our walk with God. That is why Christians constantly turn to their faithful covenant God and ask him to deliver them from their fears. Again, at Psalm 34, verse 4, and, and from shame, verse 5. From troubles, verse 6, and again in verse 17. We, we, we look to him, we, we pray to be delivered from that, that broken heart, that crushed spirit, Psalm 34, verse 18. You see, brothers and sisters, we can know very well the gospel. And we can feel the the joy of the grace of God. Strive to live in holiness. But then we find a physical or a mental illness that debilitates our bodies. It can make it difficult to be an active part of the communion of saints, regularly attend the worship services to serve those around us. You can see it when you travel as well, when there's lots of poverty, poverty that does not allow someone to even buy their daily bread or to receive a basic education or to live in a safe place. It can make it very difficult to even understand who God is, never mind going to church every Sunday. And for this reason, we as church... We pray for one another and we pray that that opportunity will be given to glorify God 
in whatever situation we may be in, whether rich or poor or healthy and sick. We ask these things. We long not just to be given more comforts in this life, but we long to glorify God. That's the greatest joy, the the greatest comfort that any person in the world can be privileged to experience. And so we pray that we may be brought to God in the fellowship we have in the first place, even if that means we, we need to experience tribulations in our short time here on earth. And then Christians redeemed by Christ, they long for the day when all those hindrances will be removed. Revelation 21 verse four is, is a goal. We, when God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes, death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, nor pain anymore. All those things that, that hinder that opportunity to glorify God with the fullness of your being will be taken away. And living in a promise like this, which speak of an eternal life of joy and fellowship with God, which is exactly what our hearts desire so much. We realize that really our hearts are longing for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes, then sin and and our enemies will be thrown away. The persecution will come to an end and, and perfect bodies will be united with perfect souls and we will be able to praise God with every fiber of our body and our soul. The church of Christ prays because We long for this renewal of all things when God will be all in all. What a day that will be. What a blessing to know that Christ rose from the dead and and that one day also our tombs on earth will be empty as we continue our journey for all eternity, unhindered. Living with our faithful covenant God and Father. Talk to him now, already. Then we'll talk to him without any, any hindrance. So Christ's church prays to God in thankfulness because we belong to him. And we long to glorify him with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength today and for all eternity. Our love brings us before his throne of grace many times a day as we, we see his hand in creation. We, we see that we, we praise him. We praise his name. We praise him and, and we pray to him as we hear his voice in his word when we experience his nearness in our lives throughout the day. Our trust in him brings us to our knees in confession as we take hold of the promise that he will not judge us and condemn us because we are weak, but he will forgive those who've confessed their sins in the blood of Christ. He will give strength to those who are faltering on their journey. Christ, church, prays because we belong to God and we long for God. And 1 John 5 verse 15 tells us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, 
we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Amen. Let us now.